Lights. Camera. Thank you for being friend. Get to the rose and back. I don't even know. Excelsior. Yeah, Excelsior. Yeah, true believers. Woo! <laughs> Keep looking at the sky. Whatever the hell he used to say, man. I I got a lot to say today, but I just I got to put them all oh, together. Oh, I I'm glad you have so much. I mean, I I'm sad because you know. Um... Well, I guess I should start it. Before I start going into our sadness, I guess we should just start. You're sad. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I mean, already started. We're talking. I, I, okay, wait a second. I gotta, let me let me give a disclaimer. Everyone, Jonathan's sad. This might well be like the one and only time you actually see this happen. So, um, as you're listening to this, you might want to record that shit because this man's never sad. So, you know. I mean, I'm sad sometimes, not on this podcast, but this podcast <laughs> makes me happy. I like talking to you, and I like talking to the people. Thank podcast you. always makes me happy. Well, so, <laughs> what podcast is It's the Cinemagic Podcast. Welcome, everyone. Uh, <laughs> the Cinematic Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Glendowal, with my greatest co-host in the world, Rick Acevedo, coming Yay. for you from the new year. <laughs> That's my, uh, like, siren sounds. I'm not very good at sound effects in the mouth. Watch out for the McCormacron. <laughs> McCron. McCron. Uh, I am coming from you, not from Paris, where I was supposed to be, but from my lovely house because I did not go because of the lovely Omicron, um, the Unicron, the Unicron. Unicron, that's a planet, right? That's that's Orson yeah. Welles' planet. <laughs> yes. yes, I was. I was uh, yes. so, yeah, I was supposed to be jet lag I mean, coming back from Amsterdam, but the same thing happened. So you know, it, it's um, health comes first. You got to make sure that you're, you know being careful so you know we we did just that yep and the song that you were singing reminded me of the saddest news that happened over the new uh the new year even more so than us not going anywhere was betty white dying and yeah then it reminded me stan lee's gone fuck and you I'm 2021 yeah like I, I but you know it's weird because when you know when betty white died instead of feeling an overwhelming feeling of sadness and i did like betty white a lot i loved the fact that she was an animal activist and everything like that it's so cool to see that a person can you know and, and this is going to sound like a you know overly spiritual i guess but it, it it really isn't it's so cool to see that a person that lived such a like long and productive life just goes away in peace you know there's always that feeling of at least this is not someone who was suffering they're just natural yeah. causes but you know a life well lived and and you know i, I think it's cool to celebrate that uh yeah. so that's yes. the one thing that i that i and that's part of the reason why we're and, and hold on i got a vast for like two seconds because jonathan and i i kid you not have been planning this stanley podcast for like ever I think originally September. September, I was saying the same thing. <laughs> so but look, man, if you're going to start the new year, hell, I mean, start it off right. right. And that's what we did. We started off with Stan mm, Lee. That's but yeah, right, man. No, I, and about Betty White and Stan Lee, because they both made it to a right, very old age. Stan Lee was 95. Yeah. 95 in his, in it, when, when he died. Uh, nope. Betty White was 99, almost 100. She would have been 100 really like nine days from now. So she was like, and you know, the, uh, you know, the only aside really that I want to make as far as that the ages are concerned is I, it, 
Betty White, who'd been acting for a long, long time, um, she really, she was known, and she was a known actress, especially in theater, and John, you know that, but her real big break came at like the age of 50, 50, I think, roughly, like in television in the Mary Tyler Moore show. And then she became an even bigger figure with uh, Golden Girls when she was in her 60s. Leading to my point, do not despair if you don't make it when you're in your 30s. Sometimes when you're older, you can appreciate success a hell of a lot better. So think about that. Oh, oh always. Always and forever. Um, and so they both lived great, long, productive lives. Yes, right. May we all live as well as they lived. Uh, <laughs> for both of them, man. Right, man. As, well as, as well as they did uh, in there. So uh, shout out to all the people we lost in 2021 uh, from all the various things out there in the world. Uh, so, But we're going to start this year kind of differently. We're going to start with one of the uh, icons of the industry. We've talked about geeky stuff and comic book stuff so long, mm. and it just feels like you can't talk about it without talking about one of the biggest influences, really, to the Marvel dominant studios that we have now. And yes, we did not do a review on Spider-Man. Um, I mean, I honestly, far, I haven't watched no, it because I was like, I, I can't. Homecoming. Not Homecoming. Far From Home. No. No. Wait. Now I'm forgetting the naming convention of all the Spider-Man. Home something. <laughs> it's something. No Way Home, I think. Was it No Way Home? No Way Home. That's it. So the That's first one was Homecoming. The second one was Far Away at Home. This one is No Way Home. Is that correct? Oh. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I really miss one, two, and three. I really miss. <laughs> I I just I feel like now when they do that, it's like they they you know look man I love look sequels are great. Superhero movies are a lot of fun and everything. That's all well and good unless it's Justice League. So you know still haven't forgotten, um, or Mortal Kombat. But seriously, simplify it. Stop with the subtitle that's so lengthy. You're like, all right, this is the war for... Ah, it's the, it's the one and then the two. And it's like, it's okay to just have the number at the end. You know, you know like you... Predator. <laughs> it, it reminds me a lot of what's happening. And if, if any of our listeners out there, huge anime fans, are going to understand what I'm happening. Anime titles recently have gotten very, very long... Like, is it wrong to pick up a girl in the dungeon? Or, uh, so I got reincarnated as a spider, so what? I've been living my life for the past 600 years, and now I'm doing... Like, you know, they, they have, like, these very long titles, and I feel like that's now happening in our movies, and I need all of this to stop. I need some... Yeah, I, you know, because, look, when, when anime really started becoming... Po not popular, but, you know, when it started sort of reinventing to where the graphics were, like, killer... And I'm talking about the like mid '80s, you know, Eight Man After Vampire Hunter D and stuff like that. Even then, it was already starting to get a little bit complicated. And it's like Eight Man After, after what? <laughs> Tenchi Muyo in love, in love with what? <laughs> Dark City. That's a hentai. If you haven't watched it, that's like a stomach thing. And I do mean that, like technically not a hentai. Technically, no, but but it's it's so <laughs> it's a sexy time anime. Let's just <laughs> let's call it that. You're right. Let's not call it a hentai, but let's call it a sexy time anime. It's, a, it's one of those things where it's like, man, you keep complicating this shit, and I'm not going to be able to like, uh, you know, 
Like, even, even... I love watching Neo Yokio, which is technically like more of an American anime, and I'm like, uh... What? Neo what? New York, it's like <laughs> New York-Tokyo combination. Like, you know... Yeah. Ida, Ida Hosaka, you know, yeah, which is... I, I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to see Marvel's doing it more and more. Because first it was fine. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. You're like, cool. I get it. Makes Captain sense. America, that make, okay, that makes sense, though. Captain America Civil War. Sure. I'm in it. I get it. You're having a Civil War. But with the Spider-Mans and some of this other stuff, I'm like, calm down. Let's not Let's not get... Let's just call it Spider-Man. It's it's about Spider-Man. Let's call it Spider-Man. The villains come secondary, and, and we kind of get the whole multiverse theory, but come on. You know. It, you're, you're doing it with your TV shows. Like, your TV shows are pretty simple. Like... Falcon and Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, WandaVision. There's nothing yes. complex about that. Just, you know, like, you're Star Warsing your titles. Like, <laughs> the rise of Boba Fett and the fall of Han Solo to the throne <laughs> of Jabba the Hutt. That's the next one, by the way. Patent pending, um, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I, I don't agree with you, man. I'm, I'm already, because I'm already hesitant because it's, well, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. There's now uh, Doctor Strange and the Universe of Madness. Uh, I forgot what the next Thor is going to be called. Or, or, or to the Guardians of the Galaxy. But I know they're already having complicated names. You see how I'm already like, I'm forgetting them because their names are already getting complicated. I'm like, yeah. I just need just two and three. It's like, that one, it's like that one Guardians of the Galaxy that I'm watching, which is just the Guardians of the Galaxy. Part two. <laughs> or three. Whatever. <laughs> We've seen them like twelve times. At this point, they're crossing franchises anyway. Yeah. You know. I just, I just need, I just need three, four, five. I don't need it to be, you know, next, next phase of Marvel. It's Black Panther. The one time I saw Captain America and Iron Man hanging out in a subway, and I'll be like, all right, man. Like, it, what okay, is, is it about Black Panther at that point, or is it just about the subway hanging and them having like a band together and getting some money in the in the hat, or just. All right, and, and because Stanley and we're gonna get to Stanley did love Spider Man, and we're talking about this. What and he do you made think it. The and title made it. of the next Spider Man's gonna be. So you have I mean, Homecoming. It would, far from it, home isn't there the away. multiverse part two coming out? No, that is the animation one, which I cannot wait to see. I cannot wait to see that either. Um, um so what would be the next Spider Man? What's the next Spider Man name? I got a few of mine. Uh, I could do right. this. Um, and we had Homecoming, so it, it'd be obvious to have uh, Spider-Man Senior Prom. Uh, wait a second. Wait a second. That would be a prequel to Homecoming or a sequel, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, and then there could be um, uh, Spider-Man, you know, uh, Spider-Man... I don't have any money. That's a good one. Because Spider-Man's usually the only superhero that's broke. Like, every other superhero is rich, so I think that makes Spider-Man relatable. It's like, look, I wish I could save you, but I don't have nanotechnology. I just have spandex. Yeah. So, I, I don't I, know. I got one. I, I'm because lost. There's a, fr there's a franchise just sitting there that needs to be bought up, and I think Sony got the money to do this. And I think it's a franchise that everybody who wanted to see Miles Morales in the new Spider-Man who didn't get to see him, I think they'll be very happy with this one. Are you ready? Mm. Spider-Man House Party. 
I mean, that actually that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't that wouldn't be that that would actually be pretty cool. But you remember there was a comic book series of Spider Man in India, like, but it wasn't like Peter Parker. It was like like um like a young man from India. I forget what his name was because he's not really prominently featured elsewhere. But it was Spider Man in India, which was kind of cool. And I forget if it was called Spider Man Bombay or whatever, but I I don't I honestly don't remember. But we should look up definitely the uh, the name of that particular series. That that would be interesting. Yeah. You know. But not as interesting as my Spider Man house party. Bring back Ken and play. Spider Man's trying to have a house party. You got you got Green Goblin and other people trying to step in, have him stop. He has to he has to go from his house party, stop a villain, come back to the house party, you know, to to Mac on Mary Jane. But then oh no, you know, Rhino's up there and he has to like pretend for a reason to get out of the house party. Hilarity ensues. Uh May's coming home as he's trying to beat the vulture and beat her home. At the same time he has to do superhero stuff. Man, and then and then the vol and then the vulture comes in. He's like, ah, fuck it. I'm I'm just I'm just gonna turn table this shit. <laughs> That'd be good, man. Have a good dance off. And because you know dancing moves and new dance moves, mm-hmm. you got it. Peter Parker can dance. The actor who plays Peter Parker can dance. Look at that. You put that in there. Bam. House party. I'm starting. I, I like that. I like that. Play. I like that. Okay. I and 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 play Martin. I know him, so he's a good. He's a cool dude. So he'll do it. Uh, and they call him. He was. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this, but the Spider-Man from India, India was uh, Pavitar Prabhakar. I'm, I'm I'm butchering it, but yeah, that was the Indian Spider-Man. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have done any better. So I yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I apologize, everyone. I know I butchered it. Uh, <laughs> I'm, two things I can't do: accents and names very well. Those are two things I can't do. I I suck at accents. Uh, yeah, accents accents, really accents are like an art, basically. They're an art. They're an art. Yeah. I, I know people who can do them so well, and I'm like, ah, that's not me. Uh, if I try to do an accent now, I will get canceled. It will I, I if I try to do an accent, <laughs> I will get canceled twice. I'll, I'll get canceled first time for trying it. I'll get canceled the second time for thinking that I could try it, and then I'll get canceled the third time. And triple cancellation—that's like triple dog there, but in reverse. And I'm not trying to have that, bro. So I am not making the effort. Sorry, you know. <laughs> All right, so uh, uh, so we should go to Stanley. Definitely, first <laughs> talking about one of the creators of Spider-Man, as we were just talking about, and I, I'm just telling you this: he would love my Spider-Man house party because he loved uh, superheroes doing. Stanley, Stanley is the original house party, and you know, getting to Stanley, um, I mean, if you had to think about five people in your life that have influenced your creative pursuits don't tell me he wouldn't be one of them i mean technically you know for me yes 100 percent, same way so people who do not know comics kind of really before stanley started writing fantastic four which he had a comic career before then but Mm -hmm. if you're truly not understanding comics um especially what's happening dc and others Stanley's really the first person to look behind the mask, to really make the person behind the mask just as important as the person in front of the mask, and also giving them a lot of human foibles and human things to go along with. The fact that Ben Grimm didn't like being a superhero, the Fantastic Four didn't like it, that is kind of a Stan Lee mark there, right? (laughs) They had problems, And, and, and Johnny Storm driving Corvettes back in the day and having personality, 
superheroes were more wooden. They stood for truth, justice, the American way, and that was kind of it. Right? <laughs> they, yeah, they were essentially there when you needed them, but that was about it. Um, and I think Stan Lee really kind of, you know, and, and this is something that I'll, I'll definitely want to touch on later. Because he himself was a character, and he would himself eventually become a character, and a very prominent one at that, which is ridiculous to think that a person that had been around that long could do something like that. I think Stanley looked at superheroes as, you know, what, you know, what can make a superhero different? Because Superman's an alien. Bruce Wayne's a multimillionaire. What is Peter Parker? Peter Parker's a college kid that lives with his aunt, his aging aunt, that, you know, could barely afford his own life let alone the ability to be a superhero in the in the likeness of a Bruce Wayne who has like this $80 billion bat cave with cars and, and stuff like that. I mean, you know, at, at its core, at their core, every superhero that Stanley ever created was a very highly relatable superhero in the sense that you could, to some degree like suspend your disbelief because oh this is a normal person mm-hmm. every, almost every hero had that they had like that it's uh, stan lee created like I believe he created black panther they did not with uh steve ditko was, was that him so. yeah so like you love t'challa's earnest nature you love peter parker and the fact that you know, he's this amazing superhero, but he's also like a kid with just daily crap that he's got to go through. And, you know, like a... Be, being a kid from New York, I understand Peter Parker, man. I get it, man. You're, yeah, exactly. Expensive. You got stuff to do. <laughs> and it's and it's like, man, if I can't web out, I got to take the subway. Like, <laughs> like the level, like how these things balance each other out, to me... That's really what made every Stan Lee creation unique. Like, you have Reed Richards, who's like an insanely, like, socially awkward individual who, given hope to kind of all the, all, the, all the people that don't have any game out there, has like the hottest wife, you know, the most beautiful, intelligent woman, you know, <laughs> saying, look, man, intelligence is sexy. That's like that hidden message right there. And the thing that you said about Ben Grimm, you know, like a New York guy with a very sort of pragmatic attitude about everything that didn't necessarily want to be a hero. So, like, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. And also that kind of writing what you know. Stanley famously set his superheroes in New York City because he just knows New York City. Rather than Metropolis or Gotham, he's like, eh. He's like, I know New York. I can write New York. New York makes sense to me. <laughs> like, bringing superheroes essentially a grounded level because mm-hmm. superman and batman not and again not knocking them i love those heroes but gotham and metropolis are stand-ins they they're not really us right they're like metropolis is this vision of a city but when you play something in new york city it's new york city you get it you ground them automatically you make them real just by setting that location that was something yeah. great that stanley kind of did of being like yeah set them real make them feel like what's really like to be behind the mask and those little changes really is what Stanley did um especially artwork I don't know if you if you're going to talk about this in the artwork Stanley was also a person because of his background a little 
uh, and loving stage and being a playwright in the army. I don't know if y'all know this, but he was literally yeah. a playwright in the army during World War II. Uh, but he loved to over-dramatize things. So for him, he was like, no, when you're drawing something, it's not like, for example, a little hit on the table, small hit. He's like, no, you need to, like, to show a big pound and have, you know, the things coming up, the sound effects looking from it. They needs to be big. When villains are pointing, like Dr. Doom and everything else, the bigger, the bolder, the better. He's like, these need to jump off the page. They can't be static. Everything needs to be dramatic. And and the one thing that I loved about Stan Lee is, to him, he understood one thing. He understood that for a tactile experience, and I'll and I'll and I'll get to that obviously a little bit later, but for a tactile experience, shit like you said, it needed to jump off the page. You can't just have a little view of 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 your hero in back. No, it's got to be serious. And I think that's where, I think that's really where where Marvel, under under the the guidance of Stan Lee, always seemed to exceed. With the exception of film at the beginning, and I'll say and I'll emphasize that again at the very beginning, with the exception of film, because you know you had Superman and Batman and and stuff like that, but. At first, Marvel was really making it a point to be far greater than 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 was DC. Like DC was, like you said, a lot of that was was wooden by comparison. And, and this is, you know, you have to be a fan to really understand what we're talking about in terms of comic books. But you know, like Marvel was just off the page insane you know um he's going to give characters personalities like really that's really what marvel did differently and again when you're thinking on the page but it's something simple uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna do the fantastic four and using that johnny store and driving a corvette Mm. that is something that gives them personalities before superheroes maybe would drive a descript nondescript car not really real it's just a car but no, they're like, hey, look, I can drive a hot rod in a Corvette because I'm trying to say something. He was making his characters characters, right? More than well, like dynamic. What about Tony Stark? What about Tony Stark? And them writing off on this, being an alcoholic for like the longest time. Mm-hmm. He was highly imperfect. He was a millionaire playboy that lived in California. Again, real place, real city. You know, uh, real cities and stuff like that. Malibu, um, I believe. And so Tony Stark was. A multi-millionaire, but with some serious problems that go beyond that existential conflict of my mom and dad died, and I gotta have revenge on everybody because mm-hmm. I'm a Twilight bat. But <laughs> <laughs> see what I did there? Oh, uh, you know. But again, it just goes back to that man. You could feel the pain in some of the characters. You could feel the rebelliousness. You could feel the conflict. Like, for for me, and this was something that they carried over. I think they've carried over this with their characters, and I think that's why the Marvel Universe has progressed exponentially. And it's because it was important to, even if I'm not following this, for the most part, and I emphasize for the most part, it was important to follow along with the characters' personality traits. Do not create an arc that isn't there. You can't make a character sensitive that isn't by nature sensitive. Look, even if you're not a fan of the Fantastic Four, the first two movies that came out, 
not counting the Roger Corman movie from 94, they're, even though they don't really 100% follow source material, and even the last one, you still kind of have that character trait that's coming in that was created for that character because you need to be able to follow it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make... And I mean, DC does this too, but I think that because the creation that the creations that Stan Lee had were so much different, like so much different, you were sort of you're sort of able to kind of invest yourself more in that character, you know. And also the looks too are yeah. less realistic, because you know, and Stan Lee, you know, you want to talk about cinematic universes later. Stan Lee was trying to do that in the seventies. So there was a non-finished um, Iron Man TV special that was like the Spider-Man, like the Spider-Man uh, 70 serials that came out and, and the Hulk and stuff like that, where literally when you see that, that Iron Man suit, you're like, holy crap, that must have weighed like 10,000 pounds, which, <laughs> but you wanted to see it in real life because it looks so freaking impressive in cartoons and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, and as you were just saying, like, the influence. Stanley's influence on comics to movies to everything today to characters is so given, uh, is so wide that that's why everybody gives him due. That's why he's still a character to this day. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know if, uh, or anything about Stanley, really do go and track. Because sometimes you need to know where all these things come from. No. All these editors, Kevin Feige, all these, they take these lessons and stuff learned from Stanley about how to build characters what should they be about even these fantastical things and that has influenced every property from fantasy magic that we have till today like you can't talk about characters and all the things we mentioned you may be like well no duh but yeah before stan lee no no one did it no not at all and do it (laughs) and and the thing that i have to say about stan lee is stan lee did not actually just stick to comic books because here's the thing how many inter- how many interviews have you seen with Bob Kane and all the creators of like other comic book characters? This is both DC and Marvel to a, to another extent. Stanley took his storytelling abilities and expanded in ways that a lot of these guys before him or that were his contemporaries um, weren't able to do. And, and, and that's a fact. That is a straight-up fact. And, and I don't know, especially when Marvel first started in his company, he was actually giving more credit to his authors than people used mm. to do back in the day. Yeah. So you'll see, like, a lot of early comic books, and you'll see, like, no names on them at all. Like, no yeah. authors, no written, maybe one name. So no one really knew who was there. But Stanley was really good at being, like, illustrated by this and giving them actually nicknames, like, Gentleman This and uh, uh, Lucky This and trying to give even characters to the people writing the comic books, as he would call it, giving you feeling like, oh, you're into the special club and you got to know who these yeah. people are and enjoy the same things. So Stanley's even perpetuating audience interaction in a time where people really are not. Like, in a but, sense of like, Stanley, I want to get you in on this. Stanley was also doing things that other people weren't doing at times when, when um, you wouldn't have thought about it. Because how many, like legitimately prominent black superheroes were there before Black Panther you know what I'm saying like I don't believe there were any 
And not it was yeah, not not from a major publishing company, and it's not just that, but it's also the fact that he. I don't believe that you know Black Panther was such an advanced like Black Panther as far as heroes were concerned and all that was like one of the most advanced from a technological perspective heroes, and this is back in the nineteen sixties when that wasn't even really a common practice, mm-hmm. and you know so there's that. And also, he was allowing artists to have a voice in yeah. how they portrayed certain things. Mm-hmm. Get, let me give you a great example of it. Um, have you ever heard the name Nick Steranko? Yes, I've heard of it. All right, so Nick Steranko was running covers for Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? And... He was doing like surrealist and pop art covers with Nick Fury as the main character. This is in the late 1960s. So I would say that Stanley really gave opportunities for a lot of artists to really kind of rethink the wheel in a lot of ways that other comic, you know, like I don't think DC was doing that mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, no, they, no. They gave him. He gave his artists a lot of free birth, yeah. like free birth to be themselves, really put them put their uh, own selves into the page, and it shows. I mean, those early comic shows and that type of letting the artist kind of run it is something that comics still kind of do to this day, and that again comes from Stan Lee, uh, <laughs> you know, really doing this back in the '60s. Uh, so it's kind of amazing, uh, especially the type of life he lived. I know I talked a little about uh, him being in the military. Mm-hmm. I, if, if people don't know this, another fun trivia uh, about him being a playwright. Uh, one of the other people stationed with him was the one and only Dr. Seuss. Uh, so him and Dr. Seuss were literally in World War II writing, um, writing stuff that the uh, government or the army needed. Famously, one was how for soldiers how not to get BD, and so you see Stanley like writing and they're drawing stuff about it and other stuff. So uh, this crazy thing, but a lot of like there's only like nine of them, but a lot of great <laughs> writers that we think of today were doing that during World War II. Famously, Stanley and uh, Dr. Seuss who did it together. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know something that that stood out to me about about Stanley and, and and I know we've actually spoken about this in in spurts. Um, so I don't know when you first became exposed to Stanley, but I was always exposed to Stanley just by looking at the name. So it's one of those things that became like ingrained in my memory for whatever reason. But it wasn't it, I didn't really become a super fan until after the Fox Kids shows had already kind of run their course. X-Men, Hulk and She-Hulk, Spider-Man, even the Silver Surfer, stuff like that. Um, And they started releasing them on DVD sets. And so I had the DVD sets and they would, and you would see this, and I uh, I don't know if you remember this, it was Stan Lee's Soapbox. And he would have like a two-minute anecdote or something talking about comic books, talking about, you know, stuff that DC would later on copy Am I mistaken? You're 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 making a memory off my head, and I may be completely wrong. Sure. Maybe making this up. I have vague memories of Stanley introducing something 
for one of those Fox News, like, uh, not Fox News, the uh, Fox animated shows and something. At least talking about... At least yeah, it was, that was, that, that was Stanley's soapbox. Um, and the thing is, the original X-Men pilot, the one that featured Kitty Pryde, that never got picked up, that came out in like 1990-91, you have Stan Lee actually introducing and saying, Hello, true believers, this is Stan Lee. And he goes into the whole spiel. So and that and that pilot does exist, and it's the um, the Kitty Pride one from like '99, where Wolverine was still Australian and, and the outfit was brown instead of yellow. So so yeah, no, he was he did that a lot. But therein lies where Stanley, for me, became a character. Because, and I don't know if you recall this, um, in '90. Probably five or six when Spider Man was over when it ran its five season sixty five episode deal. <laughs> the last episode where Spider Man's on this quest where he wants to find Mary Jane, but first he has to fight the Beyonder. Mm-hmm. He goes to an alternate universe. This is where they started really toying with that in Spider Man, and in that alternate universe, Spider Man gets to meet Stan Lee. I remember that. Yeah, and uh, his wife Joan. Um, was the one voicing Madam Spider. And I was like, how cool is it that he can be a part of this, but it's not an overwhelming part. You see his name as an executive producer, whatever, but it's not an overwhelming... And you knew he did voices occasionally, too. So Stanley goes from being this, you know, genius creator to being this character within his creations... Not an overwhelming character, though. It's just, you're like, oh, shit, did you see that? It's Stan Lee. Stan Lee did this. And that really was where I became a fan and just sort of started backtracking to, to everything. And, and that's where I learned about Stan Lee's actual love for California, which I did not know. I, I kind of read that briefly in his biography that he was like, you know, New York was starting to get um, to wear me down because he'd been there for so long. It was... He's like, I couldn't wait to move to California and start the Marvel diversification into animation, um, live, not live television, but, you know, television um, series and stuff like that, which were campy. But, I mean, goddamn, they were enjoyable, dude. Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Terrible Captain America. Spider-Man with the big bracelets, you know, and you could clearly tell he was le- he was not on the damn wall. Um, Hulk with Lou Ferrigno. What are you talking about? Just shooting up from the floor? Yeah. Why? Why would I think that? Um, you know, and, and I'll go, and I'll go this far. And, and John, I think you'll probably back me up on this. Were it not for Stan Lee, there would not be Power Rangers. And you Power Rangers fans know that's a fact. Yep. And I think we talked about that in our Power Rangers. We did. We did. So go back to our Power Rangers episode. Listen to that part. Uh, yep. If it wasn't for Stan Lee, there would be no Power Rangers. He tried to do it first. Uh, <laughs> that is, yeah. that is actually true. He tried to do it first. So that's crazy. That's right. I, I really think the first time I've ever heard of Stan Lee, even before I started watching Fox News cartoons, I have to put it on The Simpsons. Comic book guy would mention Stan Lee. <laughs> like, he would mention it. And yeah. then you start noticing, like, oh, Stan Lee, I saw that in the cartoons. And I saw, you know, like, and you start putting those all together. Worst it's episode ever. 
who's actually a substance to start naming him. But then, you know, I, I think, I can't think of a show that's kind of nerdy that doesn't have a Stan Lee reference. No. Uh, because that's how influential he is. Every, everybody got to have a Stan Lee reference. Uh. <laughs> but, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's like, you look at Stan Lee and he does not seem like, you know... Stanley is a larger than life figure without having to be a larger than life figure. It's one of those people that you're like, you get to such an iconic level that it's like, hey, all I gotta do is just be me. Mm-hmm. That's that's really one of the things that stood out to me about him is as he got older and he was doing all these cons and everything, Stanley really was able to separate and just be Stan Lee, and and he was doing different forms of media. Like, he did Stripperella, which was funny, because I don't know if you remember the cartoon, like, not the cartoon, but the uh, commercials for Stripperella. Stripperella didn't run for, like, a super long time, and you see Stan Lee, like, in a meeting with a, with, with someone, like, pitching something to him. He's like, boobs! Just the boobs! And he goes up like that, and I'm like... But he could do that, and it and it didn't seem like dirty or distasteful. He did a reality show or contest reality show, which was not great, but it was also kind of funny. It was um, Who Wants to Be a Superhero? Yeah, something like or, that. Uh, there Stanley's? was Stanley superheroes too that was on AMC, where he'd go around and look for people who had extraordinary talents and abilities. Yeah, no, this one was where they would actually create a superhero and then run several different challenges um, over time, and then they would, like, the winner would have his own comic or her own comic. Uh, that, but it only ran for, like, a couple of years on sci-fi, or if if that. I think it ran maybe for one season in sci-fi, I don't know. But it was... Even in that type of show you would see what Stan Lee would bring out in people, which was that geeky, sort of childlike admiration that had I ever met Stan Lee, I would have probably... Not probably, I would have definitely geeked out. And I don't care, man. I, I own that shit. I, I would have geeked out like crazy. <laughs> so... Uh, I mean, and, and many people have. Uh, if you've ever been to a convention, I remember the first time I tried to go to Megacon because Stan Lee was there. I was like, oh man, I'll try to meet Stan Lee. Get his autograph. There's no possible way. And this was, this was. He was still in his. I think he was 90. It's right before he started make, stop making like so many appearances because mm-hmm. of his age. I think it's like 90. It's about a year or two. But that line was so long and out the block, like you could you couldn't get in. You just could not get in to meet Stanley. Uh, and everyone who's ever met him said he's a peach. Uh, he took yeah. pictures even at like 90. He took pictures and signed autographs with every single person who come out there. Uh, and be enthused by your costumes and your cosplay and everything else. Which is kind of like that childlike wonderment that you still want to bring out of people. Still was there, like, when he was 90. Uh, which is amazing. But you know what, man? Like, that's the thing. You know, nowadays you, you have, uh, you know, the, the thing where people are are not as much in the childlike wonderment. And, and it's like... When you see a person like Stan Lee, you're like, that's kind of what kept him alive for as long as he was. I think it's that personality where if I see the Empire State Building, man, wouldn't it be cool if I could web from there? 
Like that's the kind of thought process, and it's like, look, man, we know it's we know it's not you know we know that's not real or whatever, but it's fun to think about and have a conversation over, and it's like you enjoy it and then you move on. There's so much to be in in the world today that that we sh- like that. There's so much to argue about in the world just in general that to separate from that and go into like just sort of fun mode and it just seemed like and this was a lot like what Stan Lee did with the cameos like a lot of times people would go to see Marvel movies and it didn't matter what the movie was and I think he did like a ton of them just to see the Stan Lee cameo that was it that was it like a, a lot of people did that yeah, I love Stanley cameos in Marvel movies. I mean that this—it's very sad to not really see him anymore in those cameos because yeah. it was such a staple of just seeing Stanley show up, <laughs> do something stupid uh, <laughs> in those. Because you know, when I say stupid, because it's always fun. He always had fun with them. Like you know, it wasn't—I have to be super yeah. serious, or my cameo needs to be dramatic, or I need to be shown doing this. No, it's just being stupid, having fun. Like there's always a fun Stanley cameo. The the greatest the great one of the greatest cameos that I've seen of him, which wasn't a cameo, but basically like a brief guest appearance, was when he was in. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of Big Bang Theory, but I, had, like they had mentioned that he was going to appear or whatever, and I saw it. And the coolest thing in the world, it's like they're knocking on his door. It's really late, and he comes out and he's wearing the Fantastic Four pajamas with like a four. I was like, oh my god, that is so cool. Only Stan Lee can do that. Uh, See, that's fun. I'm also not a big fan of Big Bang Theory, but I would love to see that cameo. Because I'm with you, like, see cameos. I will watch that for that cameo alone. But that's the thing. That's the thing that makes it cool. It's like, you know, and, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh crap, Stan Lee is human. He was sleeping and now he's pissed off that you woke him up. It's like, that's the most realist thing that you could. That's the realest thing that you could imagine, and in within that reality, he's wearing the Fantastic Four pajamas with like the four insignia on it, and it's this like silk pajama. Either it's a pajama or a robe, either one. But it's like it's, it's like in your silk. Background on the left hand side. In the back, in the left. Okay, yeah, I see it now. See, there you go. Um, <laughs> and he's wearing this pajama, and you're like, oh my god, you're so you're like you're the only person that could actually do that, and pull it off like yeah. how cool are you that you could do that he was our geeky Hugh Hefner <laughs> a lot cooler than Hugh Hefner I would say you know, Hugh Hefner was this like cool old dude that everybody kind of loved was like oh Hugh's so cool but like that was Stan Lee uh, was just a little dork. It's like yeah, yeah. yeah. like it's... that dude created Fantastic Four and Spider-Man like he's the coolest dude ever like you know <laughs> I mean, dude, he made he made our childhood. How many incarnations of Spider-Man did you see? Because I'm telling you right now, the first time that I ever saw Stanley's name was when they were producing the like the '60s Spider-Man. They were rerunning it, and it would run in the afternoons in Puerto Rico on syndication, and I and it would be like Spider-Man, Spider, and I would be like, oh, this is so cool. And I saw the same thing with the Thor cartoons, or like. Hulk, which if you ever listen to like the early Hulk song, like it's it's so 60s kitschy. Like, Dark Bruce Banner. It's like, my dad 
love the Hulk show, and I really think the Hulk show is probably one of the first Marvel ones I've ever seen. Be- even before cartoons and everything, is a Lou Ferrigno Hulk fan. Oh like, my I, I, god. Uh, because my dad loved it, and I sat down and watched it. I didn't know everything that was happening, but it was really cool. This dude turned into, like, this big you know, it's really, You know what's really funny about the Lou Ferrigno show, now that you mentioned that? So the Lou Ferrigno show ran for, like, five years. Right? And it, it had, like, 80 episodes. They, they usually produced them in certain fairly limited when you consider that television was 25 to 30 at that time. So after that, in, like, the 90s, right... In between late 80s and and early 90s, right before Bill Bixby died, they were producing, like, special movies. Where it was, like, The Trial of the Incredible Hog, The Disappearance of the... And as you went and watched it, um, they would introduce, like, superheroes like Thor, uh, Daredevil. Like, Daredevil actually was dressed like a ninja, because his outfit was black instead of, like, uh, burgundy or maroon or whatever. So it was all black, and it had, like, the covered face. So he, he was like a ninja. Thor, you know, let's not talk about that one. But, uh, but you know, it, it's weird because it was like they gave you this, like, it, it was the only thing that was really serious. It was like Dr. Bruce Banner, and it was, like, so damn depressing. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, but it's, you know, it's it's Hulk. And then, um, and then you would see the Hulk cartoons, which were the complete opposite of that. And you're like, oh yeah. man, this is like, like night well, and day. I, and I can see it too, because Stan Lee kind of created the Hulk to be a little bit of Frankenstein, and then Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, yeah. like because he thought it'd be interesting of putting Frankenstein and then say like, he lo- also loved Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, and he's coming up with new characters. Like, how about yeah. if I combine them and really want someone who wants to be left alone? But they have two dueling personalities who honestly hate each other, and so I think it's compelling. Again, because he humanized them instead yeah. of just monster characters. And I think it's compelling. So I can see, and I'm saying this of course because I grew up on it before the cartoon. I can see why people gravitated to the Hulk probably first more than, and when I say probably first, not saying comic books. Obviously, comic books more things have obviously existed, but when we look at the major audiences of how big that show was. Um, you know, outside of what Batman is probably the only other comic property by that time that's such a big show. Um, yeah, Ma- Batman. Batman, and that yeah. was super campy. And then you have like this this Hulk that takes things super. People didn't know comic books could be serious. Like they just thought they could be super campy. They didn't even know. And I say, widening audience really didn't know that it could also be dramatic, serious, have heart, have story, make you feel for these characters in a complete different way. Yeah, but you know, you, you mentioned something and you hit the nail on the head when you talked about this. You know, Batman was super campy, 100%. But the way the Marvel and, um, and Stan Lee presented characters was different than the way DC presented them because I used to have a pretty broad comic book collection and in that collection and I'll never forget this I bought something that I'd been looking for for a long time which was the 1976 uh, crossover album they used to do crossover albums in the 70s and I think into the 80s where DC and and uh, and Marvel will get together and, and cross over an issue and this one was Batman and the Hulk it was Batman versus the Hulk or something like that. It, it was it had a purple cover. It was pretty cool, you know. And they were bigger than than average uh, comic books and, and stuff like that. But 
Um, even though Batman is a dark, brooding character, you felt more like the whole thing is Bruce Banner's trying to go to Gotham to get together with Bruce Wayne so that they can maybe find an antidote to this um, gamma situation. But it's like, man, it it didn't hit the page the same way because I still felt for Bruce Banner where Batman was the comic book character, but Bruce Banner is the character that I'm feeling for. You know, yep. um, the Hulk is basically an almost anti-hero without really meaning to be because he doesn't want to be either. He just wants to be left alone. But Bruce Banner is the one that suffers the torment. And like you said, they don't like each other. They can't stand each other. So you don't forget about that when you read the Hulk or you see the Hulk. Even in the even in the basic cartoons that they did in the 80s, like, you know, where somehow after Bruce Banner was done being the Hulk, he was back to being fully dressed in his uh, purple jeans and, and his tie and, you know, very 80s. It's like even after that... You know, you, you still sort of felt it, and you felt the torment of the character, where, honestly, if I had not seen in 1989 that Bruce Wayne's parents were killed in the movie, I would have not necessarily known that until years later. Yep. You know, like, the darkness and the, and the depth of those characters from Marvel was palpable, but it was told in a way that it... It could still be read and enjoyed by kids. Mm -hmm. And it was not necessarily children's material, because alcoholism no. is not kids' material, but I, you know, I was reading about Tony Stark being a drinker years prior to that. But any kid can feel like they've been angry and construed and just lashed out and hated themselves for it and was trying to find something different. Because we've all been people. <laughs> and that's the thing it's like when you take it away from me to the point that I'm just like okay well you know I've, I'm grown up I'm done with this when you take it away from me to that extent you know and you make it so fantastic quote unquote there's a ceiling and I'm going to hit that ceiling at a certain point in time I never stopped collecting or reading Marvel comic books. I would, like, the most mature that DC to me ever got was when I was like 14 years old and they did Death of Superman, which is a concept that they had already been experimenting with in like the Super Friend cartoons. And even that was so sort of kitty because it's like, oh, you know, Superman isn't dead. He just super slowed his, uh, his heartbeat. You know, oh, yeah. Didn't they do Jason Todd before the death of Superman? Um, well, it, I don't, I, as far as the comics, I think they might have. Yeah, I think they did. I think they did. DC went on this whole crazy, like. <laughs> no, when DC decided they, they wanted to get dark, but it's like, are you trying to get dark because your characters are not, you know, are too kitty? That's, that's the question. Where, like, because DC at one point, it's like, Holy shit, I'm depressed just being near it. Yep. It's like the death, you know, Barbara Gordon gets shot in the spine and and repeatedly raped by the Joker. It's like, holy goddamn it, come come on. That's that's like heavy. Like even yep. in their animated films, like they did this one animated uh film, it was I believe it was The Killing Joke, um, where 
they have Gordon naked looking at the pictures that the Joker took after he shot Barbara. And I'm like, yo. Like, I would not let a kid less than 16 or 15 watch this. Just because there's a lot of layers here. And mm-hmm. I don't think really Marvel ever had to do that as much. Like, you could accept the death of a character and not be tortured by it and then move on. And if that character somehow came back in a different Earth or whatever, it's like, cool, it's not dark. But yeah, like DC, you know, that yeah. that's an amalgamation of death and just horribleness sometimes, you know. Oh, yeah, it is. But uh, as we wrap up here, we really just want to do a, just a start this new year with like a kind of tribute and a thank you. Learn all about someone who influences us, continues to influence the whole today. industry to this day, which is the great Stanley. Um, uh, a very crazy life. We could probably spend a whole nother podcast on just his actual life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> growing up in his actual life. Uh, less influences and what he did because it, it was crazy. Uh, as Rick said earlier, he was a character in and of himself, and it's uh, yeah. really great. And he kind of grew up again. Had World War Two. He did comics for World War Two. Was during the whole Comics Authority when they tried to redo comics and what was acceptable or not susceptible. And then he renovated comics. He had a crazy life. Uh, crazy things that he did, uh, and, and very interesting. Not enough time we can cover all in one podcast. Uh, <laughs> no, that. Um... What, hey Jonathan, what year was he born in? Can you remember? Because I can't. I think it was twenty two or twenty one. Uh, he was born in twenty two. Man, that was a good year for because that's when Betty White was born too. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good year for good people, man. That was a good year. He started Marvel Comics <clears throat> in sixty four when Kennedy was uh, won his election. <laughs> so he was he was in his forties then when he did that. Well, yeah. Yep. Or, yeah. Yep. Yep. And he's been working in comics, obviously, years before. But Marvel. Yeah, he was. What was the company Marvel. that he was working for? Because I always, I know he was working on a different company, or something like that. I always forget what the name was, but it wasn't Marvel. Like Marvel, basically, was kind of an offshoot of that. Yeah. Oh, so I got the story he right. First started with Timely Comics in '39, so that was the first one he worked with. Um, and then, like, everybody kind of left there, and then he became, like, editor, and then he went into the army, and then he came out of the army. Um, so he technically was writing uh, with, like, DC at the time before he kind of offshooted to his own. So it's kind of – so because uh, DC was the biggest one before he came kind of yeah. around and – kind of offshooted and then they made justice league or they allowed justice league to happen and now it's just like whatever motherfuckers uh, uh, I mean, again he, so yeah, he didn't start his comics until like late <clears throat> like you know late third so as you said in the beginning don't feel bad uh for anybody out there uh, no people start way later than you think they do at times um and get stuff uh, and, and again it's it's the level of maturity and, and appreciation that you have after that for your craft that really allows you to just um, do better. Yeah. You know, I think we forget that a lot. So, you know, ageism or the thought about ageism, don't even worry about it. Numbers are numbers. People don't even need to know what your age is. They just need to know that you're great, so, you know. Yeah, don't worry about, like, the 30 under 30 and all those other lists. Yeah, that's that's crap. Look, man, (laughs) Gout Bill's character, all right? 
Yeah, <laughs> it does. Cal does build character. Uh, um, Excelsior! Excelsior. Uh, I was going to say asthma. So funny, and that comics code and authority, <coughs> one thing they blame comics on were kids having asthma. They said it was because of comics, more kids had asthma. Definitely was the comics. Right, because it's not like something that you know can happen to anyone at any point in time. Or asthma. In the air. Yeah, pollution has nothing to do with it. Working in the factory, you know, getting that, getting that bad lung. Sure. Uh, none of that. Definitely comics. Because uh, kids were sitting inside reading comics and they weren't playing outside, and that's what gave them. First, asthma. first they wanted to blame it for kids wanting to jump out the damn window because you know, God forbid that your parents actually explain to you that jumping out the window can have dire consequences. Anything above one story. Yeah, you know, kids. It was all comics' fault. It was all comics rooting, kids. Uh, it was them. That's everything that bad that happened to children were comics. Uh, <laughs> the 1950s, the year where responsibility is everything but at home. Fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> so that. My God. Uh, we'll give you our regular recommendations for the week of things that we've been watching. Um, anything. Uh, anything even in the theaters uh, because we're doing Stan Lee I'll go first and I'm going to say go and see Spider-Man because um, you know Stan Lee I mean Spider-Man don't need your help it's crossing like a billion dollars I don't need your help but <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man <laughs> when I read those numbers I was like Spider-Man is the movie that COVID forgot <laughs> yeah so actually watch a Stan Lee documentary there's a couple of free ones out there um <laughs> I think IFC did one not too long ago, like 2017 or something. Mm. Like right before that, there was tons mm. of documentaries. Go watch a Stan Lee documentary. Spider-Man don't need your help. Go and watch a Stan Lee documentary. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have two recommendations. Uh, one's definitely a Stan Lee documentary, and another, it, you know, here I go with my procedurals. Uh, watch, stay close. It's kind of interesting. I'll say it's kind of interesting. I was, you know, it was all right. <clears throat> not interesting all right um do, was, do you have a, a last second review since we didn't review far from home uh far from home yeah no no way home See, something this is home. gonna kill me i'm gonna keep forgetting these titles uh, <laughs> spider-man going home coming home leaving later uh any last minute reviews Aunt May, can i stay out past 10 <laughs> that's actually the new show that's coming out um it's coming out on fox fx Lesser known Fox. All right. Um, I have to say, yeah, I have to say, um, I did watch the opening uh, episode of um, Book of Boba Fett. I'm glad that that guy's got a career. He seems like a super nice guy. I just felt a little underwhelmed at the first episode. I gotta, I kind of want to watch the whole thing before I, you know. Uh, sit on it like a throne but it you know i watched that and i have to say um it, it does do well for the character of boba fett to have that sort of greater overarching development and i like that because i'm a boba fett fan I, i'll admit i like that particular bad guy i don't i don't like boba fett how could you not like Boba Fett, man? Lightsabers exist, man. They got cool laser swords. I don't care about no one with a pistol. They got hey, man, hey, man. Get out of Boba here. Fett does not need a pistol. Boba Fett is Samoan. 
he will straight up mess you up, but in like the nicest way. Like he's kind. Okay. I, I don't know, man. Luke Skywalker, why he was blind, knocked that dude into a Snarlax face, man. Come on, man. Like it was the Force. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Skywalker rising. Yeah, that, he'd be rising. You know. <laughs> but actually, it does. It does show you. How he apparently got out of the Sarlacc pit, which the only thing that kind of has been bothering me about this, and I got to say, you know, and it's, I'm not trying to spend a ton of time throwing shade here, but I mean, goddamn, stop bringing back fucking dead characters. It's like, yeah, Darth Maul died a hero's villain death <laughs> being split in half. Now he's got metal legs and you're not doing shit with him. Yep. I thought Boba Fett was split in two, and I, and I might be wrong because I haven't watched that in forever, but it's like, you know, kind of giving me that whole thing about how Boba Fett survived. I was like, okay, I get it, and I feel it's a little bit anticlimactic, so I'm going to give it the run, but I'm just saying I'm giving it the wrong the run because I, I had a Boba Fett costume, I'm, I had a Boba Fett gun. I'm you know? calling it now. That's not actually Boba Fett. He didn't escape the Starlight, but it's a clone of him. I mean, aren't they all clones? Exactly. Wait, didn't they have a whole show about that? Yeah, now you're in my head. Exactly. <laughs> what you think is Boba Fett is just a clone of Boba Fett, which you're following is a clone of that clone, and you're going to find out. But you know what? You know what? After that, they're going to do a new series, and it's going to be a crossover, and it's going to be called Django Fed Come Home. Coming to the prom. <laughs> Boom! I just blew your mind. I made them another billion dollars just sitting down. <laughs> Disney hired this man immediately, Lucasfilm. He got you. Uh, I got Sony your back. Sony, talk to me about my Spider-Man house party. We'll make it happen. We'll, we'll make it great. Bro, uh, <laughs> I guarantee you, watch that shit be a comic. We'll be at Universal one day. We'll be, like, celebrating something. You'll go into a fucking comic store and you'll see that, and then like all sorts of litigation. But look, we have we have the proof. Jonathan came up with the Spider-Man house party. There you right go. Right here, it's a great idea, man. We'll kick it off, man. I love okay. it. Matter of fact, fuck Peter. We can we can have a start, Miles, man. Let's have a start, Miles. Spider-Man house party. I got you. First live action one. Let's well, have it. you ever seen Have you ever seen the Bollywood movie? Where I think the guys dressed as Spider-Man and I think the girls dressed as Supergirl. It's like a it's got to be 80s and they're doing this dance where they're flying and i really don't understand much of the lyrics because the actual like tape is really warped on the stuff that you see on um on youtube but i think he was supposed to be spider-man i'm not sure or, or she was spider-girl something like that shout out to all my name people out there do a spider-man house party before we doing it in the west go ahead innovate i respect your innovation uh so i'm just saying claps all around that's right uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week on the magic happy new year everyone um you know all that good stuff see you next week happy new year see you next week everyone